Hello and welcome to CBO Speaks. I'm your host, Donna Sheely, and glad you could join us today. Today we have Dr. Ruth Johnston. She is the Vice Chancellor, Chief Operating Officer, and Chief COVID-19 Officer at New Mexico State University. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Ruth. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. So New Mexico State University serves students from across the U.S., and I saw it says 89 foreign countries, very diverse, and it states that you are a uh, Hispanic-serving institution. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about what that means and the diversity of your school. Well, it's a wonderful place to be. I've only been here, I'm starting my fourth year. So uh, one of the reasons I came to New Mexico State University was because of diversity and being by the border. And so we have some unique opportunities, uh, not only being close to the border. So we have students who come over every day from Mexico, but also we have a lot of tribal students um, in the state of New Mexico. And it's Hispanic, largely Hispanic. So what that means is that um, we are trying very hard to be really focused on the needs of our students. Um, I'm involved with the Nakubo grant to uh, get rid of the barriers to student success and student finances. Um, And one of 26 institutions doing that. And living in the Southwest, um, it's very culturally diverse. Uh, It's also politically diverse. And it's uh, coming from Seattle, which was uh, pretty both green and left. Um, And uh, it's been a very... Big difference and a wonderful place to live. The people are so incredibly wonderful and the students work incredibly hard. I mean, many of them are first generation and being in college is a really big deal, but they're also many of them having to work full time in addition to being in school. And so uh, that's true everywhere that finances is really tough for students, um, but I think it's especially true here. And we just learned uh, yesterday that we have issues with food insecurity and housing insecurity. And so some of the um, human issues are uh, challenging, but opportunities for us. Goodness. So we're going to let's we're going to talk a little bit more about that about that. But let's talk about your journey leading you to uh, New Mexico State. Give us your your road to being a CBO. <laughs> well, I have always worked in higher ed. Okay. So that's a little bit unusual, I think, uh, because I went to college at the University of Redlands. It was actually called Johnston College at the time. It was It's still there, but it's a center and it's no relation. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I did my uh, bachelor's degree there. And then I went up to Washington uh, to Pacific Lutheran University to get my master's degree. Both of those places I was uh, involved with residence life. So coming out of the student area. And then when I finished there, I loved universities and I'd had a tiny school experience, a medium uh, faith-based experience. So I thought I needed a public large experience. So I ended up at the University of Washington, again, in the in residence life, where I spent the total of my career at UW was 39 years. Uh, crazy thought I'd retire from there for sure. Uh, but along the way, I moved throughout uh, the UW doing just about everything um, from and eventually getting my doctorate in organization development and higher ed from Union Institute. Uh, what I had done was um, gotten very close to the vice president for finance uh, at UW because I was at that point the director of training and development and was brought in to help to introduce quality improvement uh, total quality management, whatever you would call it, into the finance area. And then eventually ended up there, was asked to take on the bursa role uh, a few years after that, so student accounts. Um, and then I was really in finance pretty much the 
rest of the time, except that because my doctorate's in organization development, I spent a lot of time actually um, working in colleges and units to do uh, quality improvement, process improvement, conflict resolution, strategic planning across the University of Washington. And then in the latter years at the main campus, I was um, chief of staff and associate VP in planning and management. And then I was, I finished my last three years at the University of Washington Bothell campus, where I was the vice chancellor for planning, uh, planning and management. So I had the CBO function there, if you will. So a little bit different path than most because I'm not a finance person. Um, although I've been overseeing finance for, geez, since 1999, off and on. Wow. Okay. Well, you definitely have a varied background. And I noticed that you also have a degree in counseling and psychology too. Is that correct? Uh, it's counseling psychology for the bachelor's and human relations for my master's. Wow. So all these pieces that you have, um, what do you think or how has that helped you uh, be the CBO that you are today? And what skills do you think were key in making you be the the CBO that you are today? Boy, that's pretty interesting. I mean, obviously I care about people, uh, but I intentionally did not want to go into counseling psychology because I really didn't love the one-to-one part. Uh-huh. I like the system. Okay. And I think to be a successful chief business officer, chief operating officer, you really need to understand the system and not just the administrative side, but how the students fit in, how the faculty fit in, how shared governance works. You really need to be, in my mind, a student of higher ed. And oh, by the way, you're also doing administration, you know, like all the typical things of IT and facilities and finance and HR and on and on. Uh, but I'm always doing it with the lens as as what I kind of commonly say, administration is in support of the academy. So our job is to make sure that the goals for the academy are reached. So that's normally something around student success, something around research and creativity, and some thing around uh, uh, extension and outreach and service. Well, I actually had a recent interview with a CBO and he used the word nimble. And I see you were on a panel that talked about the same thing, a nimble institution responding to student needs quickly and efficiently. So give us a little taste on your thoughts concerning being nimble as a CBO. Well, the, probably the most recent example, of course, is COVID. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, six months into coming down here, I became the COVID officer. And I didn't even know people yet, right? I hadn't had enough time. And we have, at that point, we had three community colleges plus the university. So I'm based at the university, but we all, like everybody else, had to quickly pivot, right, to doing everything remote. And it was interesting because... Uh, NMSU had has a traditional culture and everybody worked in the office all the time, eight to five, you know, and I came from Sal, which realistically you can't do that because it's too dense. So we had telework opportunities and flexibility, but it, it didn't really exist here except on a very limited basis. So I brought the idea that we needed to introduce this flexibility. And so by the time COVID hit, we kind of had some draft policies already written. So we were able to quickly pivot that way. But also uh, having to make decisions after decision, positive and negative, depending on your viewpoint of masking and social distancing and um, who do we bring back and how do we bring them back and how do we configure our classrooms and how do we give support and say okay to things like our band who 
really was the shining star during COVID. They wanted to practice. And, you know, when you're blowing a wind instrument, you're blowing aerosol. So they got so clever. They practiced inside a hula hoop. So they were distanced all over the outside, um, what we call the horseshoe, grassy field. And they, a student created a mask where no aerosol droplets would come out and also developed some things for the bottom of, um, you know, trumpets and horns so the droplets wouldn't come out. And they were actually able to play throughout the entire COVID time. And it was because we decided, uh, me and the COVID team, we wanted to be safe. We wanted to keep our community safe, but we wanted to have something of normal normalcy. So we did everything we could to figure out ways to say yes, um, Mm -hmm. even at a time when you know, COVID was really scary to many, many, many people. And I think we did incredibly well. That's great. Now, as the chief COVID-19 officer, how's that role shifting as things shift? We're kind of considered post-pandemic. How is that role shifting for you? Well, fortunately, I was able to, with HERF money, uh, hire a project manager who would work for me to focus on COVID. And as he got better and better and better at it, I needed to do less and less less about it. So when we started having Zoom uh, town halls every single week for, I don't know, 20 weeks, then we went to every other, uh, eventually went to monthly, and now we're not really doing them about COVID. Uh, But John was able to start to maneuver uh, around the university in ways that were fresh to him, although he'd been here for a while, but I was able to relax and he could take over a lot more. And uh, it's it's been wonderful. Uh, so now this the role is expanding to, of course, monkeypox is now something that people are talking about. Yeah. So I think we're a lot more um, prepared to do uh, another pandemic should that happen or other kinds of emergencies, which of course we've had. And he is playing an emergency role, which did not really report to me specifically in the way it does now. So we, as usual, made lemonade out of lemons. Yes. <laughs> That's great. So talk to us about some of the other things that are under your umbrella that you are um, over at New Mexico State University. Well, one of the things that um, I'm, I guess, most excited about right now is that budget and finance kind of came under me basically around January or so. Uh, I'd had a system-wide level, but not the university writ large. And because I had done a new budget model at my last institution at the Bothell campus, I brought a a sense of, I really want to figure out ways to make the budget process more transparent, let people understand what it is that we do and why we do it. And also to um, create a potentially new budget model here. So we've uh, put in place a number of different uh, ways to be more transparent with our faculty senate with our university system budget committee. Uh, We've had a series of different budget meetings just to try to hear from people and also share because uh, what was happening prior is the state is um, very, very focused on lots of reporting and lots of uh, communication and a lot of requirements. And so the budget office was doing a lot of work meeting the state needs, but it wasn't doing as much meeting the university's needs. So uh, we there's a team of us who meet every single week and then we bring in the other groups that we meet with. And so we've just started the conversation in ways that people are building better understanding of, of how the whole budget process works. And I think we're going to come out with some new policies that empower the deans and the VPs and others to have more responsibility over their own budgets so that they can be more strategic. Uh, because if you have to come to the center to ask for things all the time, that's not strategic at all. 
that's, uh, you know, you, you go ask your mom or dad for money and if they want to give it to you, they do. But I would much rather have a kid who has got their own uh, state with their own budget, their own, yeah, their own budget so that they can make their own decisions and learn. So, yeah. you know, so budget, I'm spending a tremendous amount of time with. Um, also, we've been working with the Board of Regents to try to make all of the committee meetings more valuable to them, as well as to all of us, like having more dialogue rather than presentations. And that's been received particularly well, I think. And then I'm also, because of my background in organization development, wanting to bring new tools and training to people at NMSU. So lean process improvement, project management tools, uh, learn how to do value stream mapping, uh, learn to do collaborative problem solving. Um, that really can't be the job that I, w- I would like to do a lot more with that. But realistically, with all the groups that I have, I, I just can't do that. Yeah. But I, I talk about it a lot. And I try to model it also because, you know, I'm on the Nakubo board. I'm the immediate past president for Wakubo. But I also had been involved with NCCI. That's the Network for Change and Continuous Improvement in uh, in higher ed. I was on the board there for a few years. And then um, I was on the um, American Association for Sustainability in Higher Ed board for a few years because I really am passionate about sustainability. And that's something that I'm hoping in year four, I can put some more attention to because we we aren't as good as we could be here on this campus. Because I think just the Southwest is just harder to do. Um, it, it just, the mindset is not there. And the state is the fifth largest state and there's just so much land and people don't think about recycling or the behavioral part about sustainability in the same way as people do in places that are more dense that really have to think about it. Right. Right. Wow. That's great. Well, let's let's pivot a little bit and talk about mentorship. And You've been doing this, you've been in higher ed for a very long time. So talk to us a little bit about the mentors that you've had and then how you are now serving as a mentor to others um, in your role. Yeah, it's a it's a good question. Um, And one that I think about a lot, because, you know, I don't ever I never thought that I had a mentor, right? I've had multiple people who have mentored me that I've learned from. Right. And so I, you know, I usually, and very often, you get your feedback that just kind of makes that, oh, okay, I hadn't thought about that. So, you know, that honest feedback that you, you resonate with. So I remember when I was in continuing ed, one of my, my second job at the University of Washington, the uh, vice provost, I guess he saw something in me. I was really young, of course. Uh, but he said, don't be afraid. He said, you've got something to offer. Yeah, these faculty people, they've all got PhDs, which I did not at the time. But you've got something to offer. You've, you've got a service that you're providing them. Don't be afraid. So that was a really good. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another boss who just said, you know, have fun. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't have to be so serious all the time. You know, <laughs> have fun. Enjoy it, uh, which was really good. Uh, the president here, um, during the whole COVID thing, his slogan was be kind. Mm-hmm. And that has always been important to me. But to hear it articulated over and over again in every Zoom makes makes a world of difference. And uh, I think the other one that I got, even when I was a resident director the first time, um, I had very high standards, which I do, but my standards may not be other people's standards. And so to try to see where somebody else is coming from before you judge. Yeah. And I think those have been lessons that aren't always easy to um, maintain, but they're good to as reminders. And then on the other side, um, I, as I said before, I really believe in professional development. So I'm encouraging people 
to have employee development plans, to get engaged with associations, you know, to, to volunteer, to, to stretch themselves beyond just the job. Uh, also, there's got to be an element of risk-taking, yeah. uh, putting yourself in a place that makes you a little bit uncomfortable, but that you're going to learn from. And so I try, try to provide those opportunities for people to get engaged in cross-functional opportunities instead of in, in the silos, which is so easy to be in. And um, the other one, because I do a lot of training on leading change, is that, you know, you've got lots of ideas, but you can't implement them all at once, but don't lose them. You know, everything has its time. And so try to be patient. Uh, it's another one that I'm not particularly good at, but um, w- there's so many priorities in higher education, especially right now, that you can't do it all all at once. Yeah, for sure. Oh, the other one, of course, is, and maybe this goes to maybe mentorship or maybe just leadership, but um, I try really hard to be a good role model, right? Like if I'm going to ask somebody to do something, I'm going to be willing to do that. And I don't, I don't care if that's sitting up at the front desk, you know, which it's like, oh, no, you shouldn't do that. What do you mean? Of course I should do that. Um, but also things like exercise and taking good care of yourself. Um, and so I try to go on uh, as many walking meetings as I can with people. Uh, oh, which I find is a a more creative way to have a conversation instead of across a desk. Yeah. Uh, plus it's good for you. Yeah. Um, you know, to get out. <laughs> and, and for me in my role, I like, I was just uh, doing a half an hour walk before this and we just moved our black programs from one building into another. So I stopped in and I said hello to everybody who, who was in there. And that's not my, my job at all. I mean, the facility piece of getting them there was, but I, I don't need to, build those relationships, but I choose to build those relationships because I think it's really important as a system person to really understand the whole. That's great. The walking meetings. So it gets you out of your office. You get out and you're in, you're amongst the students and you get to, like you just said, you get to stop in in mm-hmm. places that you otherwise may not be able to do that because yeah. you're just in your room, in your office all right. the time. So right. that's really a great idea. That's really good. Talk to us a little bit more. You're you're very involved in organizations and, and non, you know, the nonprofits and Nakubo. And talk to us about the importance that you feel um, that is to be a part of those organizations. Well, there's just so many reasons. What uh, is learning from other people's perspectives? You know, during COVID, we had a monthly happy hour with Wakubo folks. You know, I was still, I was present during the whole of COVID. Um, so we had monthly happy hours. We just were able to talk to each other about how are you managing your people remote and, you know, how are you handling your own mental health and, you know, just ways to connect and how are you getting your work done and how do you know that the work's getting done and, you know, all those kinds of things. So networking and learning from each other is absolutely critical. Um, I did not aspire to be in the leadership track for Wakubo. Um, because I had always taught for Wakubo for like 20 some years, but had never been in the, in the organization. But the people who are on the board just care so much about higher ed and about providing professional development opportunities for people uh, and the career path. And Wakubo, like Nakubo now, uh, although Wakubo was first, uh, created a diversity statement uh, that we uh, have worked very hard to make sure that we've embedded in everything that we do, a focus on inclusion, accessibility, uh, diversity, with the big D, you know, in every single way possible. And that's made us a stronger organization. And also, um, I think a, a realization that, you know, the future is different than today. And let's get prepared for that. 
the workforce is different than it is today. We need to be prepared for that. And we need to give people who haven't had opportunities opportunity, which has been really fun. That, that pretty much started, I think, right about the time I became president. Um, and we've really run with it. And uh, that, that committee in particular is really wonderful and professional development. And Nakubo has been interesting because, of course, it's um, at the national level. And uh, the advocacy work that Nakubo does is absolutely worthwhile and amazing. Uh, and then this opportunity to participate in this grant um, to help with um, removing barriers to student success through easier to understand budget models is like right up the alley. And it's beautiful because it has to include the academic side, the admission side, the advising side, and all of our community colleges. So it's that kind of stuff. I like to link things and people together. Um, and I think that's what associations do. That's great. That is so great. So talk to us about, again, you've you've been doing this for quite some time. So I know you have some lessons that you've learned along the way. Talk about something that kind of stands out that maybe there was a lesson that you learned. And if you had to do it over, you might have done it a little differently. Uh, is there something that stands out in your mind when we talk about that? Well, I made a mistake, I think, early on, even though I consider myself a, a student of change. And that is that a lot of times change agents care so much about change that they forget that there was really good work done coming up to the point where you're now the change agent. So honoring the past is really, really important. And getting to know why it is that things are the way they are is really important. So the, both the history lesson, but also the people part, because people care deeply about their own work. And, you know, if you go changing stuff, it's, it's hard unless you develop relationships. That's the other thing. Um, relationships are very important, especially down here. Uh, it's not good enough just to do email or a phone call. You've got to really figure out a way to connect. And being an introvert uh, by nature, that's um, not always the easiest thing for me. Also, this job is kicking my butt. I mean, it's really hard, not just because of COVID, but because it's so broad. And this university has been rather underfunded in terms of its infrastructure. And so there's all kinds of room for process improvement. Um, and so as a result, you know, things break or nobody knows how to do this process or where's this money going to come from. And so, again, understanding how those pieces fit together is the most critical. So, you know, getting out and about is, is really, really important. Oh, geez. I mean, it, we all fail at different things, but we yeah. all have to keep trying. That's right. And mm -hmm. that's the most important. I mean, being a, some, you've got to self-reflect too, uh, because we're going to hurt somebody's feelings and we need to really be thoughtful about that. Usually it's not intentional, but it happens, you know, or the people that are just simply difficult to deal with. Uh, I often try to spend more time with them so that I can get to know their perspective, because I just don't quite get it. That's not always true. We don't all like everybody, you know, but uh, it's shared governance. That's something that I definitely learned. I don't think that was ever a problem for me. Part of my dissertation or my doctoral program required a internship, and I did it on shared governance at the University of Washington. And it is such an important concept in higher ed. And I think it's not well understood. And it is absolutely vital to success of a university. And uh, we are working very hard on that right now here at NMSU after some missteps of a, a couple of years back. Um, and um, it, again, the perspective is so interesting. You know, faculty and staff bring different 
perspectives to any issue and to be able to work together towards a solution that's going to work for our students. That's really what it's all about. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit more about that shared governance. I mean, you, a lot of people, like you said, CBOs are introverts. They like to work, you know, in their silo, as as you stated before, too. How can, what are some tips for some CBOs to get out of that, to learn how to work better with other people? And you, you said something really great about working with people you may not like or get along with, but you have to talk to them and work with them. What are some tips in order to do that? Well, the first thing is you got to lean in. Yeah. You, you just have to make yourself do it. And there's enough avenues, like most universities will have a faculty senate that will have a committee on budgeting. So you go. <laughs> or in this case, they didn't have one. They just created it last year. And so we immediately started talking to the chair and said, we'd like to come. And that wasn't part of their plan. But all of a sudden, it's just like, well, yeah, because how do they know what we're doing unless we're there with them? So that's been really instructive. And then uh, having retreats on a regular basis that include the faculty senate or the faculty senate leadership, um, showing up, uh, having meetings with the faculty senate chair, which I'm having one tomorrow, um, sharing the issues of concern that generally are going to be shared. Um, but yeah, administration is seen as this, you know, unapproachable thing right. and it doesn't need to be, which is, I think one of the reasons why I, I'm kind of in my role because I really started on the, the human side, the student services side. And, and I've taught uh, at, at universities and I've facilitated lots of, uh, departments, um, strategic plans and that kind of stuff. And everybody's a person, but we're all people. We just might have different points of um, view or direction. So I, you got to lean in. I mean, at my last institution, we had some pretty significant issues with some student problems, and it was really hard to resolve. And the chancellor and I and the student affairs person, we just didn't really know quite how to work with the students directly. So I started doing monthly um, go into the promenade and set up a table and bring somebody with me, like from parking or from HR or from budget, mm-hmm. and just be there and be visible and be seen. And to me, that's that's what you got to do. And yes, it takes tremendous amounts of time. Yeah. So the work life and work work balance in general. I mean, I've got my emails have just blown up this week. So what am I going to do tomorrow? I try really hard not to schedule everything on Fridays, um, so that I at least have a half day, so I'm not working all weekend. Um, the other thing that I do, which I don't know if you're really asking that at this point or not, no, but I use <laughs> I use delayed delivery for email, oh. and it is so wonderful because on the weekend, even if I am working, I delay the release of the email until Monday, and you you can set your time, you can set your date because I don't want people thinking they have to work on the weekend or feeling like they've got to respond, you know, at all, like because and uh, that seems to really work very well for people. And basically the organization is not sending email on the weekend at this point. That's good. No, these are great tips. These are great. No, this is good. So what is your vision for yourself? What is your, you know, what do you see yourself future wise? How long are you going to stay in here and do this? And, and then talk to us a little bit about what you think the future is for higher ed. So I was just on a Chronicle webinar uh, the hour before the the hour (laughs) um, on strategic planning in a disruptive phase. So 
uh, let me answer the first part first, which is where's higher ed going? I think higher ed's going to be incredibly challenged um, and needs to really think about what it's doing because the value in higher education, as we read every day in the, in the paper, uh, people don't value it in the way that they did. At the same time, people who are uh, have gotten some college, but not all college, I think that's a real market for getting people to complete, which means online uh, by and large. And we're certainly focusing on that. We still have world, uh, global challenges we've got to fix. And so the research component is vital. So, you know, the solutions to water, um, that's a big deal down here. Solutions in general to energy, which is also a big, big deal down here. And New Mexico is odd because it's a bust or boom state. And so it's gas and oil are really big. And that that's a huge industry. It's also really good for the state in terms of money, but they're fossil fuels. And so the, that debate, you know, but we're also wind. We have a lot of wind. We've got a lot of solar, you know, so it's, it's that big, that continued mix. But we got to figure that stuff out. we got to figure out border issues. Uh, for us, we're one of few states on the border, uh, you know, and the list goes on. And then, of course, student debt you know, and student affordability. And so there's no question that we're not, people aren't paid very well down here, but who's going to pay the bill? And with the state uh, not always understanding either that it's not just about giving money to the students in terms of scholarships, but there's infrastructure that needs to be dealt with. And we don't have the infrastructure money. So how do we get infrastructure money? We should be raising tuition. How can we raise tuition when student debt is what it is right now, even if New Mexico is one of the best states in terms of giving money for student education, which it truly is. So those are conundrums. So we're going to have to figure you know, all of that out. Um, in terms of me, um, I've been here three years, starting the fourth. Um, I would guess I'll probably be here three to four more years. Um, I, t- I want to leave this place better than I found it. I think we're all like that. Uh, I really like working with the chancellor. Uh, he is he is really a visionary. Uh, he's a natural uh, renewable energy guy. He's so tied into uh, the president's um, council on STEM and technology that is in President Biden. So he's connected. I mean, he's just incredible. And I really like working with him and, and trying to achieve what we're trying to achieve, as well as the rest of the executive team. It's, we've got probably the most functional team that I've ever enjoyed being on. And obviously, I like higher ed. So I've been on a lot of good teams. Um, so three to four years. Um, and then what? I've always thought I'd be consulting, uh, which I have done a lot of, but I can't right now because I'm just too busy. Uh, the registry, we've been using a number of people from the registry. And uh, that would be a fun gig yeah. uh, to go somewhere for a while. But again, because I'm not really a finance person, uh, it would have to be the right placement because I can't get in and do the spreadsheets and you know make the, the down and dirty presentations of the regions and that kind of stuff. I, I can facilitate that. I understand it, but I can't do the, the sausage making. So, so we'll see. Um, so maybe the consulting, but I do think the registry would be kind of fun. Um, we, our provost right now is from the registry and we had our last C, uh, interim CIO was from the registry and we, we had a Dean of business from the registry. And so it's, yeah, I, I think that'd be fun. Well, before we close, can you define for us, Dr. Johnson, what a successful CBO is, in your opinion? What makes <laughs> a successful CBO? <laughs> well, I'm sure there's many, many successful CBOs. And as I look around, you know, the Nakubo board, uh, it's such a talented group of people uh, who all bring 
something a little bit different, right, to to each other. So I think uh, got to work hard, got to be results focused, got to care something about metrics. Mostly, you really need to care about the mission of your organization, which is really all about the students and the people. Uh, and from there, I mean, a leader, and, and somebody told me this way back when, leadership skills are transferable. Technical skills may not be. And so like when I was asked to be the bursar, be in charge of student accounts and collections, it's just like I don't didn't have that technical experience, but I had the leadership experience and I'd had student services experience. So that part worked. So moving somebody into somewhere else can work as long as they're they've got the leadership skills. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Johnston, and for joining us on CBO Speaks. We appreciate your time. And, um, you know, I hope you will hang in there a little bit longer and and you have so much knowledge. And uh, we just appreciate you sharing that with us. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. You can find more about today's episode by visiting podcasts at nakubo.org under professional development. Then click online education. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks on Apple Podcasts so that you can get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Dr. Ruth Johnston from New Mexico State University, I want to thank you for joining us on CBO Speaks. I'm Donna Sheely. Be well. Be well.